The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, church. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be on all of you this morning. I want to echo what Steve said, and that we're really excited about uh, our theme this coming year, Go! And particularly excited about our sermon series coming up in January and hope. And we're excited about the visitors that are coming. You know, in the Christian tradition, visitors have normally, typically been a blessing. Because you never know when, when a visitor shows up and Christ says, when did we, they say to Christ, when did we see you? It's like when I was a stranger, when I was a visitor, you welcomed me. And so accepting visitors is a way that we, not only in the month of January, but in the month of February, Missions Month, the way that we welcome Christ into our midst and receive the blessings of God, because visitors are a blessing. So we're excited to talk about hope. We're excited to talk about going. We're excited to talk about God's mission of the world and the ways that he is calling us and is using us to participate in his mission in the world and the hope that he offers few other quick announcements this morning. I want to remind you that uh, this Wednesday, December 22nd, there's going to be a brunch from 9.30 to 11 a.m. in the worship center and child care will be provided. And then we also want you to, if you're not already aware, we're having a Christmas Eve service uh, on Friday, Christmas Eve. It'll be 5 p.m. here uh, at the spring. So come for a time of worship and celebrate um, celebrate what God is doing in the birth and the advent, the coming of, of Jesus Christ, and come share that time with us as we celebrate. And then finally, today, we want you to take a Christmas candle. At the tables, when we come and take communion, you can either take it then or take it after, but there are candles in these baskets, and we want you to take them home, and we want to invite you to light these candles on Christmas morning, but not only light it as a way that It represents God's light coming into the world. But we ask that you take a picture with your family and we share it with one another on the Springs Facebook page. There's a lot going on, as there always is during this holiday season. But we want to invite you guys uh, to participate in the activities that we have going on and not only to share time with family and with friends, but also to deeply dwell in the coming of God into the world, to reside in his love. We're in Advent, and our our sermon series is the love of God. And so our text this morning comes from Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 55. Whoops. And Mary said... My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of his humble servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm, 
He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Let's pray. God, as always, during this time, we come before you and your word with great thanks, for your word gives us life in ways that are surprising to us, that we're unaware of, maybe even hard, hard to believe. And so, God, we ask that you give us ears to hear today, but not only ears to hear, that you give us hearts and desires to follow you and bodies and lives that will obey. And God, I ask for the gift of preaching. Bless us as we read and hear your word today. May bring life and hope, joy and peace and your love into our lives. In the name of Jesus we pray. Irenaeus, who's one of the church fathers who lived about oh, 1,800 years ago at the end of the second century, he uses this great metaphor to talk about how the church or how sometimes people might use Scripture in odd and strange ways. He said that though some writers may quote Scripture right and left, it's as if they're taking the jeweled tiles of a beautiful mosaic and rearranging them entirely, turning a portrait of a king into a clumsy outline of a rabid beast. The tiles are the same. They're still quoting scripture, but overall the effect completely mixes everything up and is misleading. He talks about Scripture in this way, that Scripture somehow, we pick and choose Scripture, but he says Scripture is like this tile, and while you could take a piece of a tile of a mosaic and you can pick it out and turn it around, if you move around those tiles too much, the picture becomes distorted. And it reminded me of, of Christmas that when we get into the Christmas season, the Christmas story, there's lots of people taking the tiles and moving it around to form different stories. So you have Hallmark and Walmart. You have stories about chestnuts roasting on open fire and Black Friday. These are all the stories, the tiles being mixed around around this season, and there's lots of different stories and lots of tiles being mixed around. But what I want you to know today is this. The Bible's Christmas story turns out to be much more surprising and compelling than all the other stories that are told during this season. In fact, the story begins with hope, it's driven along by joy, and it ends with peace. And this is why we have four Sundays, hope, 
Sunday of hope and joy and peace. But we end with the Sunday of love because if this story is anything, if you put the tiles of the story, if you put the scripture in its right place and all the tiles are in its right place, this story is a love story. And if the tiles get moved in any other way that it doesn't turn out to be a love story, then you're not hearing the story of Christmas. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke uses a common strategy for communicating in the first century. And sometimes it's a common strategy for us today because what he does at the beginning in Luke chapter one, he takes two different stories. This is fairly common for for biblical writers to do. And he puts them together and he parallels them. And what happens is in the juxtaposition between the two stories, you see similarities, you see difference, and meaning arises when these two stories come together. They're not just telling two random stories, but they're done together to be in juxtaposition so that you can see something that the author intends for you to see. So the story of the angel Gabriel visiting Mary is a great example of this. Because just perceiving the story of Mary is a story about Gabriel visiting another person, Zechariah. Do you remember the story? And Zechariah is a priest that's offering incense in the sanctuary of the Lord. And then he goes, Gabriel goes and visits Mary And there are similarities between these two stories. The first similarity is this, is that in both stories, Gabriel announces the miraculous birth to Mary, the birth of Jesus. And in Zechariah, he announces the birth of John the baptizer. Zechariah and his wife are getting along in years, Luke tells us. And so Elizabeth's pregnancy would remind anyone who knows the story of Israel, who knows how all the mosaic pieces fit together, it will remind you of a different story of Abraham and Sarah. And still it will remind you this piece of a barren woman becoming pregnant will also remind you of the story of Hannah. And it seems that miraculous pregnancy throughout Scripture is one of God's signature moves. It happens again and again and again. And then we get to Mary. But the difference between Mary and Zechariah is in their response. Zechariah's initial reaction to seeing Gabriel in the sanctuary is that he is utterly terrified. And while Mary, her reaction is similar in that she's startled, it doesn't get this sense that she's terrified. What really comes out of the text, out of this story, is that she's, she's in wonder and she's perplexed by this whole thing. And what's odd about this story is that it seems that a teenage girl is more prepared 
to encounter a message, a messenger from God than Zechariah, who is a priest. Isn't that odd? This teenage girl is more prepared to receive a word from God than the priest is. Because Zechariah, he is skeptical, and he says to Gabriel, how will I know this will be so? How will I know? He wants to know how it's going to happen. In other words, here's what's going on with Zechariah. I don't think he really buys it. When Gabriel says, Elizabeth is pregnant, I think He's very skeptical, and he says, I don't buy it. How can I know? How can I know for sure? He wants evidence. He's not sure this thing is true, and he wants evidence. But Mary, on the other hand, says to Gabriel, how can this be? Like Zechariah, she's taken aback. But unlike Zechariah, she presumes that the news is true and she's marveled at it. And she wonders, how can this be? One of the things that we learn, I think, from this story is that This is a love story for sure. The Christmas story is a love story for sure. But it's a love story that is subversive and that it is hidden. Gabriel says, for nothing will be impossible for God. And Luke, by using this, he's in effect saying this. It says that God is coming into the creation. God is coming into creation in subversive and hidden ways. Who would have thought that a small crying infant could be the creator of the world? So it subverts in this way. For Zechariah, despite all of his training, all his ancestral pedigree, he cannot fathom the love of God that is shown to him, and he wants to know, he wants to know instead of just receiving the gift of love that God has given him. So Gabriel actually strikes Zechariah speechless. From that moment on, all the way up until John is born. I know some of you wives are in here saying, can can God do that again? Be nice. But for Mary, like Zechariah, Mary must keep quiet as well and become even more hidden, even more inconspicuous. Because she's a teenage girl in the first century and she's pledged to be married, but she's not married, and she finds herself pregnant. That's not a good situation to be in for Mary. 
So what she does, she goes to a no-name town of Nazareth, which I don't even think is mentioned in the Old Testament. We know that town now because of this story. No one knew about that town. That was a hidden place. In fact, it says it was up in the hill country in Judea. So not only is she quiet and hidden because she's a teenage girl and she has to leave her community and go to this no-name place in a no-name region that's hidden and out of sight. And what's funny is, is that this is where the two stories merge together because where she goes is to, to visit her Aunt Elizabeth who's married to Zechariah the priest who can't talk. And so Mary is hiding and Zechariah's voice has been subverted. Mary is hiding and Zechariah's voice is hidden as well. But while Zechariah can't speak because he can't believe what's about to happen, what is ironic is that Mary, in her pondering and wonder, she finds her voice. And not only does she find her voice, she speaks and it is eloquent. And we know this today is the Magnificat. And Mary said, my soul, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant, Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Can you hear the hiddenness and subversiveness in this text. Zechariah has no voice, but before he's made speechless, he has a voice. He has authority, he has power, he has expertise, he is learned, he's a priest. He has honor in his community, he has a voice. And what's amazing is the story that he cannot use it. But Mary, on the other hand, is a no-name teenage girl living in a man's world with no authority, no power, no expertise, She's probably never been to school. 
No one is paying attention to her. And with the miraculous uh, pregnancy that happens, it would draw the wrong kind of attention to her. So she hides. She has no voice. But surprisingly, and this is what is subversive and hidden about this whole text, surprisingly, she actually finds her voice and while she has no, she, has, she should have no voice, you should have never heard of Mary. But the words we just read in the Magnificat has gone throughout the world and throughout time and is probably one of the most known poetic pieces in all of Scripture. Maybe the most read piece of Scripture during the Advent season. When God's love comes, it comes in subversive and hidden ways. But this is what I also want you to hear this Advent season. This last day of Advent before we celebrate Christmas. Before we celebrate Christmas Eve with one another and then we celebrate Christmas Day with our friends and our family and we celebrate God coming into the world. This is what I want you to hear is that this is a love story about a love that meets you and I. It meets us right where we are. When we can't believe, when we think we've got it all figured out, when we know we are self-sufficient and we feel on top of the world, God's love meets us right where we are with a gift that we cannot believe. We can't conceive of it, and we can't even conjure it up on our own. When God arrives at Advent, we encounter a love that just might leave us speechless. And when we feel alone, when we feel lost, when we feel powerless, we feel hidden like Mary. God's love meets us right where we are in our loneliness and our lostness. It meets us right where we are in our hiddenness. And it brings a song to us like Mary. There are tables all around the room. And as our normal, regular practice, we share communion together. And for those of you who are visiting, this is our practice, is that we invite you to stand up and walk to the tables that are here or under the side or around the back. There will be elders and shepherds and others that will be willing to pray for you. And you'll find cups and they're stacked on the top you'll have the juice and on the bottom inside cup you'll have the bread so the body and blood of Jesus and we want to invite you to come to the table because the table is where we experience God's love and the Christmas story is a story if nothing else 
It is a story of love. When we come to these tables, God's love meets you and I right where we are, whether we're Zechariah or whether we're Mary. When we meet God's love in Jesus, it might just leave us speechless. Or it might just might meet us in our hiddenness and bring us to sing. We ask you to stand and come meet God's love at the table.